Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. So just want to tell you right from the top that Nicole Abshire is not with us today. She is with her family out of state, but she's going to be back soon. And luckily, we're in great hands because we have a fantastic guest with us, Emily Eby, our first ever returning guest, which is really exciting. But before we talk to Emily, I just want to remind y'all, please sign up for our newsletter. You can do that at our website, gobehindtheballot.com. And the newsletters are awesome because you get them once a week. It's a really great recap of the show. It's kind of your cheat sheet, which tells you everything we discussed. And then if it piques your interest, you can make sure that you listen. So sign up for the newsletter, review our show, share with a friend, email us. We love hearing from y'all. And I think that's about it for our announcements. So <laughs> let's say hello again to Emily. Hi. And I would like to start by vouching for the newsletter. It is one of the only emails that I'm like happy to get. <gasps> Thanks. Uh, I'm afraid of emails, but I love the newsletter. <laughs> it's been a fun project. So our podcast has been on a little bit of a, when you listen to this, we'll be back, obviously. But when we were on a break, we still tried to provide relevant content, content for people. So we talked about like Attorney General Ken Paxton getting impeached and what does that mean? Why is that relevant? We talked about some of our favorite podcasts and movies. We like to provide useful information to people. Impeachment content is all I'm consuming right now, actually. (laughs) Yes. I was saying on a previous show, I can't wait for five years from now for like the HBO series that's reenacting all of this drama because it's messy. Who do you think should play Ken Paxton? Ooh, like Christian Bale, like a fat oh, Christian. Oh, that's a good, Christian Bale oh, could definitely like tap into the, yeah, I was thinking like Brian Cranston's too noble, right? Mm. Like you need somebody who can play a little bit of a scumbag. You yeah, know? yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> this will be like a, a social media, like who should play? This is going to be my icebreaker <laughs> question on our next team call at TCRP. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so speaking of TCRP, tell us, Emily, where do you work? What do you do? I work at the Texas <laughs> Civil Rights Project. I'm a staff attorney in the voting rights program. I don't do litigation. I have a lot of team members doing great work suing on SB1 from the 2021 legislative session, working on a racist redistricting case in Galveston. But what I get to do is ledge work, as we'll talk about plenty today, and election protection, where we run the 866-hour-vote hotline during election seasons, and anybody can call, and we will have a team of lawyers ready to solve election issues because, spoiler alert, the Texas election code is too complicated. Yeah, it seems like a lot of things are complicated, which is why we're (laughs) glad to have you here, because what we want to do in this episode is give a recap of what happened in the 88th legislative session, which ended May 29th, and talk about what happened with bills that were discussed regarding elections, voting rights, democracy more broadly, and what we should know that we probably missed because a lot happened and it's confusing I so appreciate your Twitter because if I don't understand, I'm like, Emily will tell me everything. And you do so in a way that I understand, which is through memes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The greatest superpower of the movement. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yes. So let's start with we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about the good, like the good things that happen in the session, the bad things that happen and the ugh, which is the catch all for like 
Ugh, I can't believe this is what took the oxygen. Because we say this in the show, but as a reminder, our legislator meets every other year for 140 days. So they're not there often. And this is when everything's supposed to happen. Constitutionally, just the budget's supposed to be passed, right? But I then so. other things... Because life changes and new laws need to be made. Theoretically, they would be changing the law to meet the needs of every other year of Texans. But in reality, it's just whatever culture war is on the minds of the people who run our state right Right. now. Yes. We heard this in another episode. If there was sort of a headline for what the session was all about this past session, it was culture wars. Oh, yeah. I would say culture wars and state control like state takeover, because obviously, like a lot of municipalities, cities, counties in Texas are moving more progressive. They are actually changing to meet the times. They are changing to meet human rights needs of their citizens. And the state doesn't want that. And so I think in addition to these culture war battles that nobody's asking them to fight except for donors and certain news organizations, I think that taking away the ability of local areas to do what they want has been a huge theme this year. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for adding that on because that did come up a lot as well. And like you said, there's so many demographic changes happening in our state with our cities becoming much more populated. And yet it feels like the rural areas have an outsized voice in politics. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let's start with the good. Tell us about some good things that happen. I am so excited to actually be able to answer this question because last session there was like one good thing that happened and it, it's tied into some of the good things this year. But it, last session felt like such nightmare for voting rights. This year, a priority that TCRP and many disability rights advocates across Texas, particularly Disability Rights Texas, a priority that we've had for a long time is improving curbside voting. And there's a lot of confusion with curbside and drive through drive through voting was something they tried in Harris County. It was for everyone. It was just certain areas. It became illegal in 2021, of course, when it served too many marginalized Texas voters for the state's liking. Curbside voting is enshrined in state law. It's required to be offered at every single polling place in Texas. If I have a mobility issue, if it's hard for me to get in the polling place, I might endanger myself by going in. I can pull up to the polling place in my car, assuming I have a car, and someone will come out to me. A poll worker comes out and gives me a ballot. If I'm in a county with paper ballots, they use paper. If I'm in a county with machines, they have a little portable secure machine. And I'm able to vote from my car. The problem with curbside voting is the same as like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around, did it make a sound? If you pull up to the curb and you have no idea how to get someone to come out, do they really have curbside voting at that polling place? There are some of the bigger counties in Texas that have a button that you can push and someone will come out. That's obviously the gold standard because not every voter has a a phone. Even the voters who have cars might not have a phone, might not be able to use it. Even if you have a phone, there was no requirement that they have to post a sign with like the number to call. We had amazing volunteers in 2022 call every single county in Texas and find out how you request curbside in that county. My favorite is the smallest county in Texas, Loving County, which I think has like fewer than 200 voters in the entire county. Um, And when they called, Loving County officials said, you just pull up to the polling place curb and honk twice and we'll come out to you, which if it works in Loving County, that's great if they can hear. And I think that works for them. But you have to have a sign that says pull up and honk twice. What if I don't know? I've never done this before. And I'm there and I'm like, 
What's the secret? Exactly. (laughs) And there are a lot of places that don't have great parking, but it's still good for voters, particularly college campuses. Sometimes voters can't even find where the logical curb would be. Is it at the front door or the back door? And SB 477 passed is on its way to the governor's desk. Absolutely thrilling. Senator Zaffarini moved this bill forward. It requires signage in every polling place. It requires marked places for people to park. And this is so exciting. We have TCRP and our allies have gone to the mat, particularly in Bear County, trying to get San Antonio residents a meaningful curbside right. Now it's in Texas law. It's in the election code. There's also HB 357, which passed to help clean up the vote by mail tracker a little bit. SB 1590 requires counties to notify people that there's a mail-in ballot defect if their mail-in ballot has some kind of problem. 1599 says you got to notify voters within two business days. You got to get in there and let them know immediately so they have time to cure their ballot. Also very good. And HB 3159 requires the state to allow voters with disabilities, like visual disabilities who use a a digital reader. It requires vote by mail ballots to be in a format that can be Mm. used by voters for that. Very exciting, huge strides for disabled Texas voters. I use hearing aids. I have a disability. This is my first session where I knew about my disability, not my first session with a disability. But it was really exciting to see and be around all of these disability rights advocates and be part of that fight. And we actually moved forward quite a bit in that area this session. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I'm assuming that TCRP will be making sure that this is actually being implemented. Yes, I'm really excited because In past elections, we will call counties. We have our volunteers looking to see if there are curbside signs available. And we would be able to call counties and say, hey, you don't have curbside signs. Do you think that means you have curbside? And you had to kind of do like the college boy in philosophy class of like, do you understand? Like had to like walk (laughs) them into it. Now I can point to an election code section. And that is so thrilling to me because even though the laws in our state are very bad, as a nerd, I like to be able to point to a law. Um, I guess as a lawyer first and a nerd second, I like to be able to point to a law. So that will really help our election yes, protection like it gives efforts. you some good authority. Yeah. I, too, am a rule follower. So I would like to have that rule to back me up and say, which you're supposed to. God, it's don't a- you wish rules were better? It's the struggle ah, of rule followers yes. everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, We just have to change the rules, people. Exactly. <laughs> We're trying. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing that. Oh, you and I. I mean, <laughs> and Nicole, of course. Yes. Okay. I'm curious because you brought up drive through voting. Can you describe what that actually looks like? Oh, yeah. And why we don't have that? Yeah. I lived in Houston for two years. Me and my husband, fiance at the time, were in Houston. And during the primary in 2020, I made him go drive through vote with me. And during the general, I made him go 24 hour vote with me because those were the two big innovations for Harris County. And I was like, we got to use them because they might be illegal soon. And now they are. There was a statute in the election code that says, here are the requirements for a polling place. It has to be a structure. It has to have walls and a ceiling. And in 2020, in Harris County, the clerk at the time was Chris Hollins. And he brought on a lot of great people, including my good friend and former TCRP boss, Beth Stevens, who y'all have talked to on the the podcast. podcast. Yes, another great episode to listen to. She's (laughs) awesome. But they were starting to read the election code and go, how can we maximally serve voters under the way the election code is written? Now, some of the great folks in that office who are still doing great voting rights work were like, well, we can drive through voting. We could do people staying in their cars. Everybody was afraid of getting COVID, reasonably so. 
There was no vaccine yet. And it was like a huge development. My husband and I both were able to stay in the car. We were able to cast our ballot secretly, you know, like they made sure to turn us away from each oh, other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we could be in the same car and both vote, which was cool. And they had it in a parking structure, which fit the rules of the election code. Of course, the GOP did not like that. It was too accessible. It made things too easy for people who didn't want to have to drag four kids into the polling place and try to wrangle them while casting a ballot. You can just leave them strapped in their car seats and cast a ballot. And many other folks like that, after a lot of legal finagling that they did not win, they decided to just go through the legislature. And so one of the things that SB1 did in the 2021 session was making drive-through voting illegal, making all those areas of the code unambiguous so that they could not drive through voting can't be done legally. Same with 24 hour voting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, just thinking about the pandemic and how so many businesses have switched to curbside because who doesn't love it, especially like you said, when you have little kids, such a pain to like get them out of their car seats into the building, back into the car. If You can just sit there and have someone bring it to you. Such a convenience reduces friction. Yes. But voting... No, no, no. <laughs> it was so funny because after we drive through voted, this is not SpawnCon, I promise, but after we drive through voted, my husband and I went to Chewy's and we got like drive through Margs and Enchiladas. And now only one of those things is legal and it's right. the drive through Margs. And I don't want them to take away drive through Margs, but I also would love to celebrate a vote with a drive through Marg. And I can only do one in a drive through now, mm. even though COVID is still raging, but. Okay. Right. Well, we're going to change some rules in the future. On the list. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Another rule. On the list. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the good representatives, some of the good moments that you noticed this session. We can stay in this happy place for a moment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I want to preface by saying anytime you call out good legislators, you're always leaving out a bunch of people. So I'm very sorry to anybody. I leave out tons of great advocates and I wrote them down to hopefully not leave out any of the ones I did write down. But Representative Busey was the vice chair of the House Elections Committee this year. He was on two of the conference committees, which is sort of the final stage behind closed doors negotiations on two of the really um, like heinous elections bills. He got selected and was able to be the voice of reason in the room. His staff was really great in talking with advocates and making sure that they were staying on track. He was a great voice on House elections. There were several other great voices on House elections, too. And I want to shout out a particularly great dresser, Representative Manuel, always has these great suits on. And it's like, okay. But in addition to the great (laughs) suits, he was on House elections and asked questions of advocates in a way that got us after I testified. He would say, well, what about X, Y and Z? Effectively giving me more time to make a point Mm. and answering questions for the whole committee that they might have called back to later. And it was really fun to watch over the session as he got more invested and at the very end was in there duking it out on all of those bills. In addition to many of the other bad bills, it was fun to see him duking it out on elections after having learned so much and become one of the experts. Representative Nieve Criado was also really great talking to voting rights advocates a lot, working on amendments. Representative Wally worked on and offered a lot of amendments. And I'm always a big fan of Representative Zwiener and the way she is able to strike fear into the hearts of people with a point of order. And from what I've heard, she comes up with all those points of order herself, these little technical things that can kill a bad bill. Lots of points of order this year killing bad bills. It was Mm -hmm. really fun to see Dems use all of the tools in their arsenal. Another representative I wanted to shout out was a Republican chair of the House Elections Committee, uh, Representative Reggie Smith. In 2021, 
the House Elections Committee was a complete circus. The chair of that committee was not somebody that had a lot of respect for different viewpoints and Mm -hmm. was there to make a lot of slam dunks or what he viewed as slam dunks. Chair Smith was not like that at all. He still put through a lot of bills that I think are really terrible for voters. But he was very friendly in person in a way the 2021 chair was not. And he was friendly to both sides. He made it a place for actual policy discussion Mm -hmm. rather than a circus. And as a person who wants to get up there and testify about ways to actually make a bill better, it was such a huge relief to have a serious person leading the House Elections Committee. Can you remind us how is the chairperson selected? Oh, yeah. Speaker Phelan picks all of the chairs for every committee. Chair Smith didn't have a ton of elections experience before and really, again, passed out some bills that I do not like at all that I think are catastrophic for voters, but really made an effort to find out what TCRP, the ACLU, Common Cause Mm -hmm. thought about a bill, even if he was just going (laughs) to put it out anyway. Yeah. And as a result, we saw a lot of amendments. We saw some friendly amendments on some of the worst bills, which means an amendment that the bill author allows and doesn't oppose. We saw stuff get added on the House side that actually improves bills, even if they're terrible bills, softening some of those blows on Texas voters. Yeah. And I also want to circle back because you mentioned testifying. Can you tell us when you testify, there's invited testimony. There's when you sign up with a little kiosk. Were you invited? Answer that. And then (laughs) tell us how. So you have like two, three minutes and then how you had additional time when they actually asked you questions. The folks on the dais. It's different on the House and the Senate side. And on the elections bills go through Senate State Affairs Committee, chaired by Brian Hughes, comma, not a friend to voters. Senator Betancourt also on state affairs, not a friend to voters. And when you go to testify on Senate State Affairs, you sort of feel like you're shouting at a brick wall or speaking at a reasonable tone at a brick wall. And they use invited testimony, not as a way to find out what experts are saying, but as a way to trot out their point of view. I have not ever been invited testimony. Would love to be. I'm available if anybody's listening. But on the House side, they did less invited testimony this time around. Last time the House used it as more of a a bludgeon like the State Affairs Senate Committee does. But on House elections, it's usually three minutes. Sometimes they cut it down to two if there's a ton of people. But I wasn't invited testimony over there either. But as the session went on, you sort of got your usual suspects. You could tell who was coming from the anti-voter side, Mm -hmm. who was coming from the pro-voter side. And you get two or three minutes. You have to really cut what you want to say. Sometimes if somebody else would say something I wanted to say, I'd just cross through it in my notes because not going to waste my time. But I'm an elections expert. I get up there and I that was very sorry. I just said that without even thinking. Wow. <laughs> you are. Imposter That's... syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the people who testify are just voters, people right. who have worked, maybe worked the polling place once or people who have looked at this and thought, I think this will be bad for Texas. And I think a lot of times their testimony is more valuable than mine because I think the House Elections Committee knows what I'm going to say. I might score a couple points on telling them if something's going to end up being constitutional or telling them if something conflicts with existing law. And that helps, too. And I can talk to the representatives. But I think a lot of times they just want to hear from a regular voter who says, for example, on drive through voting, I have four kids. I don't want to haul them out of their car seats and take them in to the polling place. I just want to drive through. I always encourage people, 
case in point, I think that the listening to a couple hours of testimony in almost any committee is a great cure for imposter syndrome because you're like, Mm. oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't get up there and testify. You absolutely can. There are a lot of people who testify who do not know what they're talking about. And if you have a thought or an inkling and you do one Google search, you will be miles ahead of right. a lot of the people who show up. You can polish your speaking skills oh, too, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> and sometimes you get questions that are friendly. Sometimes the rep, I had one Republican representative actually ask me, do you have any idea why anyone would be against this bill? And it was a good vote pro-voter bill. And I said, I sure don't have any idea why anyone would be against this bill. Sometimes you get a little bit of a tougher question. Somebody's trying to bounce their point off of your face. Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer those. This is another one of my ledge soapboxes is you can just say, I don't know. That's not something I'm here to testify on. I'd like to keep my remarks to the bill. And I think a lot of people get scared that they'll get questions that will make them look bad. And I'm just here to tell you, those people, you do not have to answer their questions. It's not a court of law, you are fine to say, no, thanks. I'm not here to have a point bounced off my face. Yes. Well, thank you for letting us take that side tangent. Yes, sorry. Because I think a lot of folks, the legislature, the Capitol can feel very intimidating. Oh, yeah. So having you tell us that we're all welcome there and this is how you prepare yourself is reassuring. Yes. That, yes, this is how we have our voice heard and participate in our democracy. Thanks for letting me step on my soapbox. <laughs> yes, I love it. Okay. Anything else on the good before we going to the bad. I think I mentioned like there were some amendments and it's tough because when at the beginning of the session, you want the bad bills to die. And then there's some point where it's like the movie moment where you have the light bulb realization this bill is going to get through one way or another. And so even if you have an idea for a guardrail or something that you think could make the bill, you always want to try to kill it because deadlines and time running out kills a ton of stuff. But there are so many ways to water down, fix, change a bill in the process. And there are a lot of ways that people can make these changes. But if the legislators don't make them correctly, that could result in the bill dying later on altogether. There's a lot of machinations to make and you don't have to get involved all the way. But if you have an idea for something that would make a bill better, I think sometimes it's, especially later in session, April and May, it's good to get those out there. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Okay. So let's talk about the bad. It sounds like the session wasn't as bad as last session, but what did slip through that TCRP was not very happy about? Yeah. So I want to start by saying, like, anytime I talk about the bad bills or how things weren't as bad as they could have been in elections, which they were still really bad, but could have been much worse. They were much worse last session. That's not acknowledging like it was a historically horrible session for so many folks, particularly thinking of our like trans neighbors in Texas, drag performers, freedom of speech in general, local control, as well as gun rights advocates. We saw the Uvalde families battling over and over again. And folks who live on the border, not just the migrants coming through, but also the people who are just trying to live their lives on the border without all of these crazy military like swarms in disrupting their lives. So all of that stuff, historically bad session for those folks. I think another group it was historically bad for not as much Texas voters, but Harris County voters Mm -hmm. have had a really horrible session. The two Harris County specific bills that came out towards the end of session were SB 1750 and SB 1933. 1750 takes away Harris County's choice to have an elections administrator and moves elections duties back to the county clerk and tax assessor collector. 
Jargon, jargon, jargon. What that means is <laughs> in Texas, there are two ways that a county can run their elections. Either they are consolidated, all the duties are consolidated under an election administrator's office, or the elections duties are split. Tax assessor collectors do voter registration duties and county clerks who also do property records and things like that do running the election, doing that administration of elections. These two are elected positions. This one is appointed by the elections board of the county, which includes the county judge and the tax assessor collector and county clerk, right. as well as the party, the Democratic and Republican party chairs. They are still accountable, but these are directly accountable right. to the voters. And the idea is that it's more professionalized, right? Exactly. When it's not an elected yes. position. As well as the reason the tax assessor collector does voter registration is because they used to have to collect a poll tax in mm -hmm. order to register people, particularly people of color, and administer tests and things like that to keep people from voting, particularly people of color. And so that's racist relic that lives in the tax assessor collector's office doesn't live under the elections administrator's office. Counties get to choose for themselves which of these two systems they want to be under. Travis County is the biggest county in Texas that does not have an election administrator until SB 1750, which removes the elections administrator's office that Harris County created in 2020, moves it back to tax assessor collector and county clerk. Right now, both of those, the county clerk and the tax assessor collector in Harris County are extremely like competent, intelligent women, both Democrats right now. In 2018, Harris County's county clerk was Stan Stannard, who is anti-voter, a national laughingstock. There was like a last week tonight segment about how terrible he was. He ran again in 2020 and he did not win. But that kind of person can still get back mm -hmm. in under this system. Hopefully they do not. SB 1933, now that they've split it back into these two offices, would allow the secretary of state to take over the elections duties in either one or both of those offices. If the Secretary of State has good cause to believe that a pattern of problems exists, that is not a legal standard. It's not found anywhere else in law. You can say good cause to believe about anything. Right. And there were a lot of myths around the Harris County paper ballot shortages that turned out to not be true. The initial number was, I believe, 121 polling places ran out of paper. The Harris County Republican Party only put 26 polling places in their lawsuit, because when you're doing a lawsuit, you have to be sure you're right. But the way that the secretary of state could take over this county could be based on that 121 where everybody's scrambling around and rumors mm -hmm. are flying and it's election night. Nobody's fact checked anything that constitutes good cause to believe. While the secretary of state has taken over those offices, they have veto power over every single elections decision. They can say no polling places in this historically black neighborhood. They can say, no, we're not going to turn around and call folks about their mail-in ballots that are inaccurate. We are actually just going to mail them back and hope that they check the mail. There are all kinds of things that the county has discretion to do that the secretary of state would have veto power over. Mm. Ironically, the exact same kind of preclearance that the United States federal government used to have over bad Texas laws about voting before the Supreme Court struck down most of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Very ironic that they're like, we like preclearance now. 
Mm-hmm. of a larger body over a smaller body. Right. And at the end of the Secretary of State's, it can last for years. There's some disagreement about whether it's two or four years that the Secretary of State can take over these offices for. But at the end of those years, the Secretary of State can move to fire these elected officials. They would still have to go through a process, thankfully, thanks to an amendment, but they would be able to move the firing forward. And that bill only applies to Harris County for now. I can't stress enough. Okay how the appetite for state takeover is ravenous. Today, the eye of Sauron was turned on Harris County. I think Travis County, Dallas, maybe even Fort Worth and San Antonio are not far behind. Okay, so these other counties can still have their elections administrators for now. Yes. But that could change. They can still have their elections administrators and they can't be brought under Secretary of State takeover for now. Okay, just Harris County. Correct. The author, I know. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with all of those advancements they made in 2020, right? The author of the bill, both of these bills, Senator Betancourt, even said to the Houston Chronicle, like, sure, yeah, we could do this in other counties. No big deal. It's like, come on, man, don't say it out loud. Right. I mean, do say it out loud because that helps advocate against these things. Yeah. So it's the foot in the door to maybe other things. Can votes be invalidated in this scenario? I think it's not specifically that votes can be invalidate the secretary of state, it would be illegal for them to say all the polling places in Sunnyside were throwing out their ballots. But they could certainly say this machine malfunction means that we have to take a closer look. This machine malfunction means we have to treat all these ballots as suspect. It's a Mm -hmm. lot more soft power than hard power, I think. Yeah. Interesting. I know. Well, there's hard power, too. But as far as invalidating votes, I think they could really cast a lot of aspersions that are harder to cast now. Right. So definitely keeping your eye on Harris County and what happens. Exactly. There's also a a bad bill statewide, and it's like a comedy of errors. It cracks me up. I mean, it's horrible and will result in wrongful uh, imprisonment, so it's not actually funny. But the way that Republicans got to this bill, in SB1, the 2021 anti-voter omnibus bill, someone added an amendment at the last minute during one of the special sessions that they called to lower the penalty for illegal voting from a felony to a a class A misdemeanor. Still comes with up to a year in jail, still a huge fine, class A misdemeanor, still very serious. They all rubber stamped that. All the Republicans in the legislature, all the ones who are still there now said, not a problem. Yeah, SB1, let's go. Woohoo, we love it. And now this session, they are pretending like they didn't rubber stamp it two years ago and saying, oh, you know, we never meant to do that, but we knew about it, but we didn't know about it, but we knew. And so we have to raise that penalty back up to a felony where it has always been. They have lied about how long it's been a felony. Illegal voting has been a felony in Texas. They said 50 years. It has been way less than 50 years. There was no huge bump in voter fraud, in-person voter fraud. There's no like huge spike or even minor spike to justify raising it back up to a felony, right? Class A misdemeanors seem to deter plenty of people, the same number Mm -hmm. of people that a felony deterred, if you believe that penalties actually deter behavior, which I don't. But they were like, no, we got to raise it back up again. And I've been talking about it like the office episode where Dwight says he can raise and lower his cholesterol at will. And Pam says, why would you want to raise your cholesterol? And he said, so I can lower it. (laughs) And that's sort of the like, why would you want to lower the penalty so I can raise it? But that bill passed towards the very end of session as well, raising it back up. Okay, so, yes, sounds like bad bills, bad bills targeted at Harris County. Yes. And one statewide that makes all of our lives worse. (laughs) Right. Yes. 
And were there any representatives that particularly disappointed you or you're just shaking your head? I can't believe what they're doing. (laughs) It is very hard to be disappointed in some of these people because the bar is so on the floor. But I think (laughs) maybe like amazed at Senator Betancourt for going after Harris County. He used wrong numbers constantly, that 121 made up figure. He held up this little map that was like not only inaccurate, but horrible to behold. It looked like Harris County had like a bad case of acne like I used to have as a teenager. And it had 121 zits on it that turned out to only be maybe up to 26 zits on it. And Senator Betancourt himself had to resign from running Harris County elections in disgrace in the 90s. I do not think that County Clerk Betancourt would have survived what Senator Betancourt has put into law. So a little bit ironic there that he go after Harris County so gallingly Mm -hmm. when he himself was not a good elections official in Harris County. Wow. I know. Isn't that that amazing? Yeah, no, that's like an interesting rabbit hole I could find myself going down. Like, who is this guy? What has he done? Oh, yeah. What's his MO? I would not recommend his Twitter. He pays for Twitter blue so that he can post these like Facebook length screeds. You will feel your brain melting out of your ears as you eat it. (laughs) All right. I need the HBO movie of that, too. So it'll save me some time. (laughs) Okay, well, let's turn lastly to the UGG. So this is sort of the catch all. What just made you say UGG? And you were there pretty much every day. Uh, It was there probably three days a week. And most of those days were like 14 hours. Worst. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think the UGG, like the overarching UGG, and I love it's titled the UGG because that's exactly (laughs) how it feels. The overarching UGG is how many times there was overwhelming public opposition to a bill that they then voted out of committee. Sometimes they would have some semblance of shame and wait until everyone had left to vote the bill out of committee. But there were so many anti-trans bills that had a huge like group of people there to testify. And this trick that they pull that drives me up the wall is when they have 700 people registered to testify against a bill. And 20 people registered to testify for it, they will alternate testimony between someone who's for and someone who's against. Usually there's no rule about this, but it makes sense. And it it usually goes that you testify in the order you signed up. And so people would get there at six in the morning, wait for testimony to open, be the first people to sign up on the little iPads in the Capitol. And then they'd have to go after somebody who wants to ban rights for trans children. And they who got there at like 4 p.m. And this is 11 at night, things like that. And they did that with some of the horrible anti-border bills, too. And it was just not anti-border, but anti-migrants rights, anti-border residents rights bills. They did this back and forth uh, trick to make it seem like the opposition is balanced or maybe just to avoid hurting their own feelings with all these people telling them how damaging their bills are. Hard to say with some of the egos in those buildings, Mm -hmm. but the general uh, of waiting to testify. I also came out with a huge renewed respect for gun safety advocates because there was one bill. It fortunately died. HB 636 would have allowed every election judge, that's just the name for the head poll worker, to be carrying a weapon in a polling place, including schools, which is wild to me. It goes against everything that makes sense to me, especially who could potentially be on the ballot in 2024 and how intimidating. intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I got to testify against that bill with two of my friends in the committee. There were so many people in that room who were testifying for the bill 
who had guns on them in the Capitol. Right. And as me and my two of my friends from two other great organizations, Move Texas and Common Cause, as we walked out of that room, someone chased us down. He wanted to make some point about how one of us mispronounced the name of a county in a testimony or whatever, but he had a gun. He was known for carrying a gun at the Capitol, and he was chasing these women out of the room who were against gun rights. And it was so rattling. I was okay. Nothing happened to me. I don't, but you can never know. And so just thinking about how close to our hearts this gun safety legislation is, all of us who know any one other person in Texas are terrified of it. It was one of those moments where I was like, wow, they like these advocates, as well as the border advocates and the trans advocates are really putting their bodies on the line for this legislation. And that just makes me go, ugh, we shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Speaking of ugh, like this is connected to the gun thing. I remember that one of the first times I went to the Capitol, when you enter the Capitol, you go through a metal detector and you put your bag on the conveyor, kind of like the airport. Yeah. Well, I noticed someone off to the side of my eye who just like zoom pass. And I was like, Oh, do they work here? Like, what is this fast pass that they have? What gun is license, it? Gun license fast pass. Yes. Yeah. If you've got a handgun, you enter the West entrance with nary a care in the world. I was like, wait a minute. Why are they checking me for a gun when these folks clearly have one or own them at home? Yeah. And they're good to go. It didn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. The most dangerous thing comes through. And I have to put my little like battery pack for my dying phone through right. the Right. So what are they meters. catching? That's for another day. But what are they there for? <laughs> I, I, intimidation to make sure that they can hire DPS officers. Mm, I have no Job idea. security. Job security. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> this is another investigative uh, uh, yeah. road, but okay. I mean, I've seen, like there were so many people who just walked through the metal detector. It beeps like they have something on them and the, the officers are like, have a nice day. And it's like, why do you have this? Just yeah, ugh, wild. Yeah. yeah, not meaningful at all. Yeah. So what else falls into the UG? Any? I mentioned six thirty six. That horrible, uh, thankfully dead bill to allow guns in polling places. There was another one. It was eight or SB nine ninety, which would have eliminated countywide polling. Countywide polling is a extremely popular program in Texas, where a county can opt into it, and if you opt in then voters in your county can vote at any polling place in your county on election day. I believe 83% of Texans now live in a county with countywide polling. It's extremely popular. One of the first people to testify in House elections is was an invited testimony from Heather Hawthorne, who's the county clerk in Chambers County, which is more rural county, just north, I believe, of Harris County. And she had the blonde hair. She had the Texas accent. She was like a very classic, like Republican official. She's married to the sheriff in that county. And they said, Miss Hawthorne, is it true you're married to the sheriff? And she would go, yes, I am sleeping with the sheriff. The rumors are true. It was so funny. <laughs> a nice moment of levity. But she got up there and one of the first things she made sure to say was, my residents love countywide polling. Please don't do anything to take it away. And then on the Senate side, they were like, actually, we're going to try to take it away. I thought that was just, it doesn't matter if it's universally popular with rural and urban, Democrat and Republican. If it helps voters, they will come for it. There was another bill, and I can't recall the name or the number. It is dead, but filed by Representative Carrie Isaac that would have made it illegal to have polling places on college campuses, mm -hmm. clearly aimed at college voters. I think Representative Isaac might have filed it because she was a little bit sore. 
about having lost her seat in 2020 to Representative Zwiener when the college down in San Marcos was drawn into their district. And I didn't know that we could just file bills about personal vendettas. So I look forward to running and filing bills against women who wear champagne colored dresses to other women's weddings. That is my <laughs> vendetta. But it was just one of those things where it was like, come on, you don't have a policy reason for this. This is personal to you and it doesn't help anybody. And I know that you run for election and you win and you get to file whatever bills you want. But that doesn't mean I have to take them seriously or like them. And that's hard, too, because the countywide bill and college campus polling place bill got a lot of attention. And obviously, we want to speak out against these things. But the more you talk about them, the more you make them real, sort of like Tinkerbell, like clapping them into right. existence. So it's always hard to balance, like, I hate this bill with, I'm not going to yeah. dignify it with totally. a response. Yeah. Repetition is powerful. I am learning. <laughs> Thank you. That, <laughs> that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. Okay, let's say goodbye to the UG and let's look ahead. Happily. We're probably going to have more special sessions. Mm -hmm. Anything specific in the voting realm that you guys have your pulse on? I'm so nervous about the countywide bill. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, comma, Lieutenant Governor slash Twitter screamer Dan Patrick has been talking about some of the bills. He still wants a statewide Secretary of State takeover elections bill, and he still wants that anti-countywide bill. I hope that the will doesn't exist in the House because the lieutenant governor is also the head of the Texas Senate. I hope that the will doesn't exist for that, but you never, as soon as you look away, that's when they put it on the special session call. Right now, they're focusing on the border and something about property taxes that I do not yet understand. I know. And something, something. Yeah. But just because something isn't on the special session call, what the governor wants out of the special session doesn't mean they can't draw attention to it. And they are not supposed to be able to pass bills that aren't germane to the special session call. But again, as soon as you look away, that's when they do it. Mm. So hopefully no elections coming up. I don't understand what they will have to get grumpy about before 2024. They have hand selected who's going to be running Harris County. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. OK, we're going to pivot and look at democracy, which is a big focus we want to have at the forefront of our minds going forward with the podcast. Mm -hmm. Democracy is so important because that's the government we still kind of have in place. So we'd love to ask our guests as we wrap up, what does democracy mean to you? I've been thinking about this a lot. And as a voting rights attorney, like a lot of my personal identity is wrapped up in my work and what I do and, and what I'm fighting for. And also, we're seeing our elected representatives get farther and farther away from what people want. I think every time, and this just happened in Georgia at the city level in Atlanta with their fight against Cop City, but every time you see hundreds of people testifying against something that ends up getting passed anyway, you think, who are those representatives beholden to right. if not the hundreds of people testifying who put them in office? And obviously it's the big money. It's the way the Supreme Court keeps handing elections to corporations and carving away at individual rights. But to me, democracy means that when you say something, your representative listens. When you say something, they take it under advisement. They take you as seriously as they take themselves. It also means that communities are able to have self-determination. Of course, democracy is a majority rule, but there have to be minority protections. They're supposed to be built into our fabric of our democracy, but they keep getting eroded too. And Especially at the local level, we've done a great job in Texas of asserting that. And 
of course, the state answers by trying to take it away by these, quote unquote, small government conservatives who are suddenly not a huge fan of smaller governments. <laughs> Shocking how that works. But I think to me, democracy means that self-determination, that self-actualization, that voice actually mattering. Unfortunately, that means that a lot of us have to do extra work outside of the polling place. But hopefully we are able to do so much work during the interim that polling place vote actually makes a difference. Yeah, that's a wonderful answer. It was making me think too, and I thought of this earlier in the interview about when people go to testify, how much work that is. We're a huge state and they're driving from all corners to come and have their voice heard. And it is a shame that when you have an outsized influence for or against a certain thing that it's still ignored. Yeah, hopefully going forward, we'll have more representatives who take note and stop and pause and say, hey, wait a minute, yes. they really like this thing or don't like this thing. And no matter where you live in Texas, your House representative is home now. The House has adjourned sine die, much to the Senate's chagrin. The gossip in Texas has been amazing lately, even if the laws are bad. But your representative is home now. They have a district office. Call them. Try to make an appointment. Come in and talk about the things that matter to you. It might not always sway your representative, but if you can get you and everybody in your book club or you and everybody in your immediate family or your sewing circle or whatever group of people that care about something, if you can all go and talk to your representative, I really do think that still moves the needle at least for some folks. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. It never hurts to build some relationships. Absolutely. Yes. So where can people find you, Emily, and keep up to date on what's going to happen next? Yes. Follow Texas Civil Rights Project. We're TX Civil Rights on like all social media. I'm Emily EBTX, even though I'm technically Emily EB French now, but I've been really bad at rolling out my name change. Sorry to my lovely husband, Mike but he's okay with it. I'm the one who wants to change my name because French is easier to say than EB. Maybe huh. not my most feminist take, but that's where we are. But I'm Emily EBTX still on all on most, you know, on Twitter, which is where I mostly am, unfortunately. And stay plugged in, read the Texas Tribune, you know, talk to your friends. Unfortunately, Twitter is where a lot of the gossip is and it is now run by a person I'm not a fan of. But for now, we're still hanging out there. Too. That's right. Well, you have great content, which I appreciate. So thank you for putting it out there, even if it's on Twitter. Yes. And um, thank you for speaking with us. Thanks this so much for This has been so informative. Me. I know for myself, I learned a lot through podcasts. So hopefully this is helping other yes. listeners wrap their heads around what happened with elections. Thanks for having me on one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, listeners. We will be back with you next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.